little worried there. That was 100% my fault. Um, I am Adam. I'm the discipleship pastor. And we're starting a series today called Stand. And today specifically we're talking about standing out and standing out for God for the right reasons at the right time. And if your life has gone anything like my life, there have been plenty of times in my life where I've stood out for embarrassing reasons or the wrong reason. One in particular really, really stands out. I grew up um, right next to the Green County Fairgrounds, which was incredible because there were basketball courts, tennis courts, I never played tennis, uh, soccer fields. And so and on those fairground soccer fields, there are, you know, woods. There's like little spurts of trees and weed and stuff. We called them woods. And so we would go and we'd play in those woods. We'd solve mysteries. We would ride our bikes. We would play soccer. We'd play basketball. We would do all these things. And one year, fall soccer rolled around, and my sister was playing. This was before uh, my oldest sister was playing. This was before my next oldest sister and myself were that we weren't old enough. And so we were playing in the woods next to the soccer field that she was playing on. And so there were all kinds of littler kids running around and playing. And we both had our bikes over there. And we were the cool ones because we lived close enough to have our bikes over there. Like we would just ride our bike through our neighbor's yard, which I'm sure they loved. Uh, and we would go down this thing. And there was this one particular woods area that had what seemed like the steepest hill we'd ever seen in our life. And so that day we were like, we're going to make a BMX course. And so we were going to ride our bike down and make a little jump at the bottom. We were going to do an incredible jump and then go around, and you could loop around and do it over and over and over and over and over again. So we succeeded the first time, just going down the hill and doing the circle. And so we got some confidence. And so then we built a little ramp out of, you know, whatever we could find in the woods, which is not a smart idea. Don't do that. But we did that. And so I did a couple of jumps, and I was feeling great, you know, and I did a jump, and I felt like I did a trick probably didn't do a trick. I was probably off the ground for like one second total, but it felt like I was, you know, evil Knievel. Uh, and so I was doing that. And then I heard the, the e excitement of our friends that we'd made that, that day up at the top of the hill. And they're like, we found a trash can lid. We're like, yes, that seems great. And so it was an old metal rusted trash can lid. And if you were talking about cliche imagery for things went, took a turn for the worse, old metal rusted trash can lid is absolutely it. But it's what we found, and we were like, that is brilliant. When I heard that, I was down at the bottom, and we were, you know, reconfiguring our ramp, obviously, because you have to make it more and more epic as the day goes on. And so I heard one of my friends or my sister, I don't remember which which will become obvious in just a second, say, just throw it down here. And for some reason, when I heard that, I became a meerkat. Not just a meerkat, but an excited one at that. And so instead of just turning around and looking, I turned around and stood up and looked as I saw a metal trash can lid coming directly into my big head. And talk about, you know, immovable object and unstoppable force. That trash can lid was moving the speed of light, and my head don't budge. You know, and so... This trash can lid just hits me directly, and it didn't break, but boy, did it bleed. And I just had my head in my hand, and I could see blood, and I was like, oh, this is not good. Head wounds bleed a lot, and I knew that as a kid, and so I was like, oh, this is probably not as bad as it seems as blood's just dripping down my face. And so I run up, and I go see my mom. For like the hundredth time as a child, my head is bleeding out, and I'm running towards my mom. I have plenty of these stories. Pray for her. Um, and so... <laughs> 
<laughs> I went up there, and she was like, oh, no, and we went back to the house, and we got all cleaned up, and um, the, the blood, not even close to the worst part. The absolute worst part was that Mount Everest grew on my forehead directly in the middle. I mean, it popped out like just an antenna or a unicorn horn. It was unbelievable how quick and how much my forehead was sticking out. And those of you who are paying super close attention know that this was right before school started because this was fall soccer. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror, and my mom's just gotten done cleaning me up. And I said, Mom, is that going to go down before school starts? And she just went, oh, sweetie. <laughs> Which is mom for definitely no. Don't throw metal trash can lids. And so all the younger ones in the audience today, don't throw metal trash can lids at your friends. It turns out badly, I know from experience. But the whole first couple weeks of school, I walked around with a huge bulge on my forehead. And people wouldn't look me in the eyes. It's like, hey, my eyes are down here. That's so disrespectful. Like, you know, and it was unbelievable. But I stood out that whole first couple weeks. Today, hopefully, we can find something in Scripture and hear a story from Scripture that will help us have all eyes on us, like I had on me going into the fourth grade, but for God at the right time and for the right reasons. Because no matter why you're standing out, whether you're on stage in front of a couple hundred people or you're the only Christian in your workplace, or you're the only Jesus follower in your family, or whatever, no matter for what reason you stand out, you have all eyes on you, and you need to be ready to handle that moment. And so today, as we dive into the book of Daniel for the next four weeks, we're going to see that three boys were prepared based on their dedication and their intentional pursuit of God to stand out for the right time, at the right time for the right reasons. And if we can do the same, we'll not only change the course of our life, but potentially be able to impact the world for good and show people the life that Jesus has to offer. And so as we prepare, will you pray with me as we uh, prepare to look at God's word? Father, we are blown away thankful for your word and the life that it offers us. And God, we pray that as we dive into your story, that we might be able to find ourselves in it and lose ourselves in it and be changed by your word and be changed by your son and the life that he offers. God, prepare our hearts and our minds. Help us to be receptive for, to what you have for us today. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Like I said, we're going to be in um, the book of Daniel for the next few weeks, and we're not going to go directly through Daniel, but we are going to kind of jump around and look at a story each week. And so this week, we're looking at um, a story in Daniel chapter 1. And so if you want to turn your Bible or go in the Bible app uh, on your phone to Daniel chapter 1, I'll be reading out of the ESV. You can read any version you want, but if you notice a disparity, that's why all, all the verses that I read will be ESV. Um, we're going to start... Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And it says this. <clears throat> then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, uh, youths without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. The king assigned a daily portion of the food 
that the king ate and of the wine that he drank, and they were to be educated for three years. And then at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. And so here we are in uh, Jerusalem around 605 B.C. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar has taken over, and he is trying to completely change the culture of God's people. And the way that he's planning to do that as he's expanded his kingdom outward, outward He's trying to make all these people that he's overtaken, he's trying to make them Babylonians. And we see in these first two verses that his plan for that, his plan for that is to indoctrinate the youth. Not just the youth, but the best of the youth. And he's saying that your next generation of leaders, they're going to be mine. And they're going to be mine because I'm going to teach them my ways, I'm going to give them my food, I'm going to give them my wine, and I'm going to test them that they know the ways of the Babylonians. So King Nebuchadnezzar was terrible. He ransacked the temple. He did all kinds of damage. He killed off the temple leaders. And then he went another step further. He said, I'm not just going to take your present culture from you by killing off all your leaders, but I'm going to take your future culture from you by taking your children. I'm going to take them and I'm going to indoctrinate them and I'm going to teach them my ways and I'm going to give them new names and I'm going to make them become Babylonians. And so we see the story of four of the youth that were chosen. These young men were between the ages of 12 and 15, and they were taken and they were put in squarely into the school of King Nebuchadnezzar. And there's this attempt to indoctrinate them and make them do all the things of the Babylonians and completely rob them of their heritage and their culture and the story of God that they were living out and take their God from them. So the first thing that we see as we head into this story, is that to stand out, we must live intentionally. Because Daniel 1, 6 through 8 says this. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Sorry, I messed that up. Hananiah, he called Shadrach, and Mishael, he called Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. But Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved not to defile himself. These young men, put yourself in their shoes. These young men, 12 to 15 years old, are pulled from their home, put in front of a king, put in front of the king's top leaders, and they're given new names, they're given new clothes, they're given a new place to live, they're put in a new school, and they're offered a new diet. And these young men are thrown into that. And in the face of power, of absolute power, of power that could kill them without hesitation, they make a resolution. We won't defile ourselves in front of this king, and we will not disobey God as he has commanded us. And so, he allows a couple things. You notice that. Call me by a different name. That's fine. You can call me whatever you want, because that doesn't change me and who God has made me to be. Try to convince me of what you believe. Fine, I'll go to your school, and I will be obedient, and I will listen, and I'll do all that, but... I won't hold on to what you say I should believe. I'll hold on to what I believe. 
And then it was with the food and the drink that Daniel made a resolution. And it's because the food and the drink was the thing where he had to actually had to put belief and trust in King Nebuchadnezzar in his way. Trust that these foods and drinks that God had said were unclean were acceptable for him to eat. And he said, I'm not going to do that. That's where I draw the line. I am not going to eat what you tell me to eat, and I'm not going to drink what you tell me to drink because you're not going to convince me of your beliefs, and you can call me whatever name you want, but God said don't eat this, and I trust God more than I trust you, and if you're going to kill me, that's fine, but I'm not going to eat the food that you offer me. And so he made this resolution. He made this intentional decision to, in the face of power, continue trusting and following God. And we have the same choice to make. Because we're offered alternatives to God's ways all the time. The world will try to convince us that there is another way outside of God's way to get the best life you could possibly have. That there is a better way for you than God's best for you, and that's just not the case. Which is why you cannot go half in with Jesus and expect to get the full life that he has to offer. When you say yes to following Jesus... You're saying yes to following him with the whole of your life, with everything you have. And to get all that he offers from life, you have to give him your whole life and surrender and trust that he has your best in mind. And we know this to be true, but we wish it weren't because we see it all the time, right? I mean, let's take an example from basketball, right? LeBron James, who... I wrote this before he made his decision to go to L.A., so we'll call him by a different name, um, Gibran Lames. And so he is the, the best basketball player in the world right now. There's no question about it. He is the absolute best, and there's no doubt that he was born with God-given talent. But he also spends a million dollars a year to take care of his physique and his body and stay in playing shape. And he played all 82 games this year in the regular season and did not miss a playoff game in his 15th season in the NBA. And the sports fans are like, oh, that's pretty impressive. And the non-sports fans are like, okay, what? I don't care. But that's incredible. No player in their 15th season has played all 82 games. He's made nine straight finals. I think that's right. Maybe seven, nine. I don't know. A lot of finals in a row. But he spends a million dollars. He lives his whole life to be the best basketball player he can possibly be. And he's taken his God-given ability and he's made himself a, a step above everybody else. And we think, we think that we can follow Jesus for 10 minutes and be the best Jesus followers in the world. And it's just not the case because Jesus has more to offer us than basketball does. Jesus has more to offer us than anything else, and our whole life needs to be a pursuit of what he has for us. Everything we have goes to him first, and he will give you a life of freedom and fullness and free from shame and guilt and addiction and and all these things if we follow him completely. It's why Ephesians 6, 11, and uh, 13 say this, put on the whole armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand evil, withstand in the evil day and having all done to stand firm. Let me read that again because I did a terrible job reading it, okay? (laughs) Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
and having done all to stand firm. Put on all that God has to offer. Put on everything that he has for you because there is a contradiction. There is temptation that wants to pull you away from what God has for you. There are plenty of things that want to pull you away from this life that Jesus is inviting you to. And so put on the whole armor of God that you can stand against these temptations, that you can stand against the evil that is in our current day. And we can stand out with that full armor of God. We can stand out as examples of the life that Jesus has to offer us. But it takes dedication. It takes putting our whole lives into it. Putting on the whole armor of God looks like living an intentional lifestyle in pursuit of what God has for us. Daily. Yes, daily. Reading and reflecting on scripture. In a way that changes your mind on how to view the world. Read scripture in a way that changes your mind on how to view the world. Not so that your mind can be confirmed by what you read here, but allow it to change you. Prayer every day. Prayer seeking guidance from God. Pray every morning, God, direct my steps and see what happens. Pray to confess sins. Tell God where you're weak so that he can make you strong. And find community. Part of the whole armor of God, not mentioned specifically there, but part of the whole armor of God is the people sitting around you. We need each other. We need each other desperately. We need to lock arms and head forward to change the world around us. Find a community that will support you. Find a community that will have difficult conversations with you. Find a community that will tell you what they've seen from reflecting on Scripture. Find people around you that will build you up and lead this intentional life. I started working out every morning two weeks ago. And I started feeling really good about myself at the end of week one, you know, as people are tend to do. And so I was feeling kind of sore because I'd been lifting again, whatever. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be completely changed. And then I got this realization that if I stopped on that day, nobody would know if I didn't tell them. Which you're like, yeah, you're right. But there would be no visible, obvious change that I had dedicated myself to making a change. While working out for a week might be better than some, it might be better than some, it certainly doesn't make me stand out as an example for what a healthy lifestyle looks like. Like, I can say that. You can be thinking it, but I can say that. I am not an example for what a healthy lifestyle should look like. I might be better than some, but I'm just not an example to follow. It just means that I've started with good intentions. And I think the mistake I've made and the mistake that too many people make is that they stop, they stop pursuing Jesus after they've done better than some. I stop pursuing Jesus after I've done better than some because I memorized three or four verses and I have those down, and yet there remains no visible change that Jesus offers a full life for me. Can I just say... Miamisburg doesn't need us to be better than some at following Jesus. Miamisburg needs us to be exceptional at dedicating ourselves to being changed by Jesus. So irrationally generous, so outrageously kind, so lavishly loving, so courageous in the midst of turmoil, and so laser-focused on showing the world what freedom looks like that they don't have to ask, have you been following Jesus? They just know that he's changed our lives completely, and there's a collection of us that have been completely changed by him. And then they're going to want to say, that's different. 
That stands out in the world of greed. That stands out in the world of, of, of pride. That stands out. What is that? And they come towards us. They come towards Jesus because he has taken over our lives and given us strength. And now I need to pause here for a second. Because don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You don't need to earn a position with God or add a boys from God. Living intentionally, a dedicated life, dedicated to the life that he offers, is for your good and for the good of those around you. You have the position with God that you need through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. You are brought into the family of God and held and embraced by the Father. But there's more for you than just salvation at the cross. There's more for you than just salvation at the cross. There is a new life to lead, and there is an example to set, and there's a mission to dedicate your life around, and there is a call to stand out in a world of the same and be different and be better and be willing to have all eyes on us because Jesus is better and our lives are a testimony to the power of his grace. And so we dedicate ourselves towards him. Daniel was prepared to do this. And he understood that he would be ruffling feathers. And yet he was so confident in what God would do. He says this in Daniel 12, 1, 12 through 15. He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of, our youth, youth, of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So... He, the chief eunuch, listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate and the kings who ate the king's food. Test your servants. Let's put God's word up against your word. Let's put what you say is nourishment and sustenance over what God says is nourishment and sustenance. Test us. We will eat only vegetables and water, and then we'll see who's stronger. Us, because we're trusting God, or the others who are trusting you for their strength and nourishment. We need to be prepared to stand out for the right things at the right time. Daniel didn't make a fuss when they changed his name. He didn't protest when they dragged him into a school that tried to change his mind about who God was and who God wasn't. But when, it said, when they said, actually trust us with your sustenance in the place of your life, Daniel said, no, that's too much. Because I know where my life comes from. I know where my sustenance comes from. And it comes from God and God alone. And so I will not go there. And so he picked and he chose his battle. And he was able to be a standout testimony for what God was able to do. And the power of God in the midst of a changing culture. Daniel 1, 19 through 20 says this. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom, understanding about which the kings inquired of them, the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. God's ways. 
God's ways proved to be ten times better than the ways of the Babylonians. God's ways proved to be better in every matter. They were head and shoulders above the king's men. They were head and shoulders above the distractions, above the indoctrination, above all of that. They were head and shoulders because they trusted God completely in the midst of a culture that wanted to tell them that God didn't have their best in mind. Surely they were tempted. Because have you ever eaten just vegetables and water for 10 days? It gets old. Fat is good. Okay? <laughs> we can just say that out loud and be right about it. Like They just ate vegetables and water and they got stronger and they were smarter. And they had clarity of mind because they trusted God. God's ways are better. And so don't hear me saying either that I'm saying that God wants us to just eat vegetables and water that's not the case. Jesus died on the cross to make all things clean, whatever, so we can eat good food and we can eat pork, and it's fine. It's good. That's a total aside. I didn't mean to say that. You understood. But bacon is good. Let's eat it, okay? Coming back. They were better and stronger. We need to be prepared to stand out for the right things at the right time for the right reasons. And so you don't need to fight every battle in Jesus' name. You need to live the life that Jesus invited you to all the time. Because it's that daily walking, that daily right decisions that will put you on some platform or in some cubicle or on some sports field or in some classroom or in some woods riding BMX bikes or somewhere where there's going to be a moment where you can stand out for the right reasons. And you can say, no, I won't do that. I remember when I was in, I was in college, and uh, I was an SLA on my hall. I went to a Christian college, and SLA stood for Spiritual Life Advisor. And part of that, though I was over 21, um, was signing an agreement that I wouldn't drink any alcohol or smoke any tobacco. Like, I just, I wouldn't do that, and so I had to sign the thing as an example. That was the standard that they had set. And so I was going to live up to that. And at that point in my life, I didn't have any problem morally with either of those things. But I had signed my name on paper. And I had said, I won't do these things. And then I was invited to a bar in Lexington with a friend of mine who wanted to go smoke cigars and have a couple beers and talk about Jesus. And I thought about it. I really did. And I was like, man, this guy needs to talk to me. Like, this guy wants to talk to me, and so I can go to that place, and I can totally get away with it. Nobody from Asbury is going to be there, um, and nobody's going to see, and so I can go, and I can have a beer and smoke a cigar, and we can talk about Jesus, and hopefully I can turn his life around. I thought that, but then I thought, no. Like, I've made this agreement. I've signed my name on paper and said, I won't do that. And so my testimony in that moment was, hey, man, I'm sorry. I'll go with you. But I'm not going to have either of those things because like, I believe that God calls us to be men of our word. And I'm just not going to do that. We can have any conversation you want and you can drink whatever. Like I'll just be there with you and we can have a conversation. And the guy was like, oh, well, okay, we'll just go somewhere else. And then we went and we talked. And we still had a good conversation. And we still got to pray together at the end. And it was still great. And this thing that I thought was going to be a big, big thing turned out to not be that big of a thing just because I was like, no, I promised. 
I'm, I'm made a bond, and my, my, I'm going to be a man of my word because that's what God calls me to. And that was a better example than me saying to him, yeah, I can get away with it. It's fine. Like, drinking and stuff, that's, like, no big deal anyway. Alcohol's in Scripture, whatever, whatever. I had made an agreement. It didn't matter where I stood on Scripture about those things. I told the institution of Asbury, and I made a covenant before them and before God. I wouldn't do it. And so my testimony was, I'm going to live up to my word. And that resonated with him because he didn't need another beer. He needed somebody to say, no, the life that Jesus has invited me to actually makes a difference, actually means something when I want to go do something else. Jesus offers us a life that stands in stark contrast to the life that the world offers. And so we need to build our lives around becoming examples of that free life. The world continues adding more and more into our schedule. It continues adding this more and more to do. You should post another picture. You should get another like. You should make more. You should accomplish more. You should prove yourself. Make more money. Show that you matter. Prove your worth. Be better looking. Be taller. Be skinnier. Gain weight. You aren't going to get anyone looking like that. But as the world shouts and as the world adds noise, Jesus hangs on a cross with a promise that says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy and I have come that they could have life and life to the full and so they tried to shout him down and the world tries to shout down the power of the cross at work in our lives but on that cross Jesus declared it is finished and contrast makes you take notice and so in a world of chaos and noise can we bring peace and quiet, and kindness, and love, and generosity. Because your friends who are going through stress, and who think that they need more to accomplish, need you to come in and be peace in the midst of their storm. They need you to come in and stand out. In the world of their greed and generosity, in a world that, that just shouts down greed and generosity, you just need to be kind and hand out and show up. Give peace in the midst of a storm. Be Jesus in the midst of chaos. Because this is better than before. This stands out. On the cross, Jesus heaped on all of our inadequacies onto himself and unlocked an adventure for all of us, an adventure that in pursuit of him you couldn't possibly exhaust in a hundred lifetimes. And so from this day until your last day, pursue Jesus completely and with everything and live intentionally and be prepared to do the right things at the right time for the right reasons and you will stand out head and shoulders above everybody else because God's best is best. Remember that God's best is best. When you are tempted to go another way, remember that God's best is best. He has come to give life and life to the full. And so we've got to do this. And we've got this together. And only together can we bind our individual pursuits of Jesus to change a city, to bring peace to chaos, to bring joy to turmoil, to bring calm to stress. But we need to be willing to be different. 
We need to be willing to have all eyes on us as we seek to change a city's mind about who Jesus is and what he has to offer. It's why we serve our community with no ask of them coming in and tithing. That's not why we give away backpacks. We give away backpacks because kids need backpacks, and Jesus told us to take care of people. We put on VBS so that there could be a safe place for kids to come and hear a life-giving message. Don't ask those kids to tithe. It's not about getting butts and seats. It's about attracting people to Jesus. And when they're attracted to Jesus, they'll come and want to be around more Jesus people because they want to know more of what Jesus has to offer. We are here to serve our community and draw a community around all that Jesus has to offer. And so can we be so different that the world just notices the power at work, the power of the cross at work in our lives? And if you're here today and you feel like your life is still full of noise and chaos, the cross stands for you too. Jesus rose from the grave for you too. And if you need to talk to somebody, I'll be down front at the end and we can come talk and we can pray together. But Jesus wants to change all of our lives. And we can leave this place and go change the world in his power. We need to be dedicated to him. The world, our friends, need us to be people who have a confidence, who have the confidence and the courage to stand out and be different in Jesus' name. If you are serving communion, I would ask that you head to the back. We take communion as a reminder every week that we can stand out because Jesus died and rose again. We can stand out because we don't have to stand in our own power. We can stand out because he offers us freely the keys to a new life. You can be changed in an instant and over a lifetime. You can be saved right now in this moment in a confession of who he is and what he's done for you and never be able to exhaust all that he has for your life if you keep pursuing him. His body broken, his blood shed, so that we could be people who experience true freedom, who experience true happiness, who experience all that life has for us, because we're pursuing the one who created life in the first place. So as you take the bread and you take the juice, which represent the broken body and the bloodshed, just remember where your strength comes from and who people will actually be looking at, out at when all eyes are on you in your pursuit of him. They'll see Jesus, and that's a good thing. We pray with me before we take communion. God, we are thankful for your cross. We are thankful for the power at work in us to change us, and we rely completely on you as we pursue you with our whole lives. Give us the courage to stand out and be different. Give us the courage to serve our community in your name. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.